Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's out farpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Radio Havana Cuba, Russia's Sputnik Radio, and NHK Japan. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Elections were held in Germany, and it is not yet clear who will replace the retiring Angela Merkel as chancellor. Climate was a big topic during the election, and here is a discussion about whether promises will be enacted. Greta Thunberg spoke at the Youth for Climate event in Italy. A rare tornado hit Germany, and the Right Livelihood Awards were presented. Coca farmers in Bolivia are fighting for control of their product, and a prison in Ecuador saw over 100 inmates die in rioting. YouTube shut down several German-language channels of Russia Today, that's RT, for airing doctors speaking in alternative ways about COVID and vaccines. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Leaders of two smaller German parties have held coalition talks following Sunday's election. The Greens' Annalena Baerbock and Christian Lindner of the business-friendly FDP are thought to support, uh, are thought likely to support, Social Democrat Olaf Scholz. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has congratulated Mr Scholz on his election victory, but her party's leader, Armin Laschet, says he will also try to form a government. Well, let's talk through the politics of climate with DW Environment correspondent uh, Ajit Niranjan. Well, welcome, Ajit. Climate was a big topic during uh, this e- election. I suppose now we want to know if parties were just telling people what they thought they wanted to hear, or do you have hopes that a, a new German government will actually take concrete steps to tackle climate change? Scientists I've spoken to, have their views have ranged from kind of cautious optimism about the new election results to kind of severe disappointment. And I think it's important to remember two things. The first is that some of these parties have consistently preached about climate change and then pursued policies that experts are saying are completely at odds with what needs to happen to achieve these temperature targets. The second thing is that all the parties have taken positions on climate change and they're they're saying that they want to reduce emissions quickly and keep hold to the 1.5 degree temperature target. That's a big shift if they manage to achieve that. Okay, so at least it's on the agenda. Everyone's talking about it. Which of the proposals that you've seen from Germany's political parties uh, do you think is likely to be best for the environment? I think one thing that's super important for Germany in particular is, um, I mean, if we just take this Green Party proposal of phasing out combustion engine cars by kind of the end of the decade, this is really important in Germany because on a lot of other sectors that you look at with the German economy, Things are changing already. If you look at the power sector, the price of renewables has fallen so much that it makes sense to kind of shut down coal plants and build uh, solar panels and things like that. What hasn't changed over the last two decades, 
is Germany's transport emissions. And that's a core conflict kind of also within these coalition negotiations because the, the market liberal FDP have said that they are completely against sort of bans on things like this. The Greens have been pushing to, to have this change happen. And the other parties have kind of mixed views on this. Okay, so those two parties there, the FDP and the Greens, they are likely to be uh, coalition partners. Where can they reach agreement, do you think? So there's a couple of things. I mean, one core thing that they're both saying is that they really want to build out renewable energy. Right. Their ways of kind of achieving that are a bit different. I think the FDP isn't very keen on uh, subsidies for it, but they kind of want 100% renewable electricity by, by 2035 in the Greens, 2040 for the FDP. But it's also important to remember that, that that's one of the core principles that will decide whether Germany meets its climate targets or not, whether it's got enough renewable energy to power its economy. On a couple of other issues, like if we take a look at transport again, say um, the Greens want to have a speed limit on motorways, the FDP completely oppose that. These are kind of smaller scale issues, perhaps, but where there's real kind of core tensions that are difficult to kind of square. DW Environment correspondent, Ajit Naranja. Environmental activist Greta Thunberg has struck a skeptical note at climate talks in Italy. In the opening session of the Youth for Climate event, Thunberg accused world leaders of making empty promises about the climate crisis, saying their lack of action was a betrayal of present and future generations. Over 50% of all our CO2 emissions have occurred since 1990 and a third since 2005. All this while the media is reporting on what the leaders say that they are going to do instead of what they are actually doing. A rare tornado has hit the northern German city of Kiel, lifting people off the ground and tossing them into the sea. Several had to be hospitalized for their injuries. Now, the Right Livelihood Award, also known as the Alternative Nobel Prize, uh, is given every year and honors the work of leading visionaries across the world in the field of social change. This year's laureates hail from Cameroon, Canada, India and Russia. Frida Hassan from Canada's Wet'suwet'en people has been honored for her work reclaiming her people's culture and defending their land. The Legal Initiative for Forest and Environment has worked to empower communities to protect their resources in India. Vladimir Slivyak is one of Russia's most prominent environmental campaigners. He's been recognized for helping to promote grassroots opposition to coal and nuclear power in Russia. And Marta Wandu is being honored for her work on child protection and gender-based violence in the Lake Chad region. In Bolivia, where cocoa farmers have been protesting alleged unfair marketing practices and have clashed with police in the city of La Paz. Uh, farmers are fighting for control of local cocoa production and do not recognize the authority of the government-backed cocoa association. Ecuador has sent police reinforcements to restore order in a prison where more than 100 inmates have been killed in rioting. Rival gangs are battling for control of the jail near the city of uh, Guayaquil. And dozens died in riots at the prison earlier this year. A state of emergency is now in force. YouTube has shut down several high-profile accounts as it cracks down on misinformation being spread about vaccines and the coronavirus. The Google-owned platform also removed both German-language channels of Russian state broadcaster RT, formerly known as Russia Today, without disclosing which videos broke its rules. The editor-in-chief of RT is calling for a ban on DW and other German media in response. 
Sorry, this video is unavailable. This is the message YouTube users now receive when they click on two German channels of Russia Today. YouTube blocked the channels for alleged violations of its community guidelines. According to YouTube, RT Deutsch is guilty of broadcasting medical misinformation relating to COVID-19. RT claims it merely interviewed doctors critical of coronavirus measures. But the dispute is fast becoming a diplomatic incident. Russia's foreign ministry is calling it an information war and accusing Germany of meddling. There is no doubt that YouTube carried out these unwarranted acts, with the support of the German authorities and the mass media there. Berlin rejects Moscow's accusation. This is a decision by YouTube, and the German government and its representatives have nothing to do with this decision. Anyone who claims that is making up a conspiracy theory. Russia sees this as a major blow to its foreign media channels. RT receives 320 million euros a year from the Russian state to broadcast in five languages. Plans were in the pipeline to expand the German programming this year, but now Russia's media regulator is threatening to retaliate by blocking YouTube entirely in Russia. The Kremlin has long been critical of the platform because opposition figures use it to spread their political messages. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. People in Ecuador are demonstrating for the decriminalization of abortion. At the United Nations General Assembly, the foreign minister of Nicaragua demanded an end to all illegal coercive measures unilaterally imposed by imperialist countries. Journalists around the world were shocked by revelations that members of the Trump administration and the CIA had plotted to assassinate Julian Assange. At the UN General Assembly, several Latin American countries renewed their call for the total prohibition of nuclear weapons. Radio Havana, Cuba. Ecuadorian social movements and feminist collectives marched in Quito on Tuesday in favor of decriminalizing abortion, making it legal and free, despite conservative groups threatening to silence the protest. Groups began gathering in the early morning hours to protest and mark the International Day for the Decriminalization of Abortion in Latin America and the Caribbean. The march itself took place in the afternoon. Demonstrators said that a law for abortion in case of rape is being processed in the National Assembly after the Constitutional Court decriminalized these cases. In this context, the Parliamentary Group for Women's Rights in the Legislative Palace of the National Assembly confirmed that they will present all normative advances for the decriminalization of abortion in Ecuador. Dennis Moncada, Nicaraguan foreign minister, demanded during his speech at the 76th session of the United Nations General Assembly the immediate cessation of all illegal unilateral coercive measures that imperialist powers impose on peoples of the world. The top diplomat from Nicaragua remarked, quote, These aggressive policies of the empire constitute a severe obstacle to the eradication of poverty and to progress towards sustainable development. They constitute a break on the guarantee of stability, peace, and the development of families, peoples, and nations. 
Dennis Moncada added that in times of the COVID-19 pandemic, these measures are a crime against humanity perpetrated by those who impose them. Quote, they are unacceptable. We reject them and reiterate our solidarity with the millions of people who suffer under these sanctions. Journalists, political analysts and press organizations expressed shock on Sunday over a report that claimed members of the former President Donald Trump's administration plotted to assassinate WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Yahoo News interviewed more than 30 former Trump administration officials for its article revealing that the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, under Trump's then-CIA director, Mike Pompeo, had discussed assassinating or kidnapping Assange while he took refuge in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. The report also claimed that the Trump administration, in partnership with the U.K. government, was preparing, potentially, to engage in dangerous street conflict with any Russian operator that should they attempt to help Assange escape from the country. Following the release of the report, the Freedom of the Press Foundation issued a statement calling the CIA, quote, a disgrace, adding, quote, the fact that the CIA contemplated and engaged in so many illegal acts against WikiLeaks, its associates, and even other award-winning journalists is an outright scandal that should be investigated by Congress and the Justice Department. Horrified journalists, political commentators and analysts from around the world also expressed shock at the details contained in the report. Ryan Grimm, the Intercept's Washington, D.C. bureau chief, reacted with, quote, you cannot extradite somebody you plotted to assassinate. Several Latin American countries have renewed their call at the United Nations for the total prohibition of nuclear weapons, this 75 years after the General Assembly pronounced on the matter for the first time. Antonio Guterres, United Nations Secretary General, recalled the antiquity of that claim in his speech, a claim against the logic of assured destruction that countries ignored in the decades that followed, instead engaged in what he called a dangerous competition. Guterres said, quote, 76 years after the use of atomic weapons against civilian populations, the objectives of the historic 1946 resolution must still be realized. These weapons are not yesterday's problem. They are still today's threat. Argentinian Foreign Minister Santiago Cafiero said that Buenos Aires considers it essential that countries comply with their obligations under the Non-Proliferation Treaty and relevant safeguard agreements without reservation and in good faith. Venezuelan Foreign Minister Felix Plasencia called that, recalled that Caracas considered that the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty remains the cornerstone of disarmament. Earlier, Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebra had stressed that nuclear disarmament does not depend on weapons, but on the right to solidarity and international cooperation. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, but the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 60, or 6,100. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Sputnik Radio. Afshin Ratansi interviewed Jem Ramuld, 
the Australian director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. She discussed reactions to the announcement of the AUKUS Pact, which aims to build nuclear-powered submarines for Australia and thus increase tension in the region. Russia's Sputnik Radio. The UN General Assembly, which finishes today in New York, US President Joe Biden said bombs and bullets cannot defend against COVID-19 or its future variants, but that hasn't stopped him minting a new security pact with the UK and Australia to build a fleet of nuclear submarines. So while UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warns of a new Cold War, what will be the true cost of further Western nuclear proliferation? Joining me now from Sydney is the Australian director of the Nobel Peace Prize winning international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, Jem Ramuld. I've got to ask you, first of all, what your reaction was when you first heard about the uh, submarine deal. Uh, probably expressions a bit like President Macron, but for different reasons, maybe. Yeah, we were, we were shocked and dismayed. And, and to be honest, a little bit perplexed. This deal doesn't really make sense. And we see it as something that uh, is a very dangerous precedent and is certainly something that stokes uh, tensions within our region. So we were very disappointed. But we know that it's it's not a done deal. So far, it's an announcement, and we're also sceptical of the motivations behind it. We are facing an election uh, within the next six to eight months. So you know we don't think that it stacks up at this stage. Um, but of course, we'll you know we'll continue to monitor it and to to see what comes out of the negotiating period. But for now, there's a lot that's that's wrong with this deal. Specifically about the nuclear element, but away from the geopolitics. There was a deal anyway with France. Is a concern that uh, allegedly UK-US uh, highly enriched uranium is 93 to 97%, uh, which can be used to make nuclear weapons? Yeah, that's right. And this is actually unprecedented for a country to acquire nuclear-propelled submarines when it doesn't have uh, nuclear weapons. We would be the only country to do that. And it's... It's a serious concern for the global non-proliferation and safeguards regime. We would be exploiting a loophole in the non-proliferation treaty to do that, which hasn't happened before. And we see this very much as something that would uh, provoke other countries who might seek to get nuclear-propelled submarines as well. We know that the Prime Minister currently has said that uh, he's not seeking to develop a domestic nuclear arsenal. That's, that's good, but we want more than, than his word on that. We want to see Australia commit to never do that and never to host the nuclear weapons of another country. And we see the best way for them to do that is to sign and ratify the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. There are many experts and commentators that are already saying that um, this opens up a Pandora's box and uh, if Australia gains these submarines, then perhaps our regional neighbours will be interested as well. Um, and when there is great efforts to contain the, the amount of this material, highly enriched uranium that's around in the world, uh, increasing the number of states that have this is, is not only a risk for what Australia might do, but it's a security risk uh, in the ports and construction sites where the submarines would be. Uh, built and where they would be hosted. It's also uh, increases the risk that these places would be uh, nuclear targets in the event of a nuclear war or conventional uh, targets. So, and if they were, then of course that would mean 
major disasters and radiological contamination at those sites. So um, we just can't really take their word for it. Adelaide is so far slated to be a, a city and a port where these submarines would be constructed. And there's no question that any, any such site would become a target for a nuclear or conventional attack. And that's not something that the people of Adelaide have been asked about. Um, now, this deal has come out of the blue. This is not something that um, the Australian public has been canvassed about or surveyed about. Another problem with this is, is the, huge, the huge cost um, of these submarines. Now, the, we've already wasted a few billion on the French deal, and that was going to be upwards of $90 billion. And now many are saying that a nuclear-propelled submarine deal uh, with the US and the UK could be at least double that. I would love to see some silver linings to this and perhaps one of those would be that Australia is realising that it needs to do more work in this region. Now we keep pretending that we are basically a deputy sheriff of the United States um, and we're happy to do its bidding, especially when it comes to nuclear weapons. Um, but in our region alone, you know, we've seen so far that New Zealand has said that Australian nuclear-propelled submarines would not be able to enter its waters and we're hearing from the governments of, of Malaysia and Indonesia that they are cautious about this and they're concerned about, about provocation and asking all parties to refrain from arms competition. In taking this step and striking this deal, Australia is also legitimising uh, two nuclear arms, arms states and their nuclear arsenals. And in the UK, then you, you have... Uh, the current government that wants to increase the cap on your nuclear arsenal by 40%, which is in clear contravention of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And then um, the United States has upwards of, of 6,000 nuclear weapons. So um, this is not the direction Australia should be taking. This is not the kind of company that um, you know, we should be keeping when it comes to nuclear weapons and, and taking this step of nuclearizing our military, um, you know, it doesn't bode well for our region. We would really need to ensure that there's no way that uh, these submarines could ever be nuclear capable and we would need to be assured that uh, we would not be assisting with the use or the threat of use of a, of a nuclear armed state's use of nuclear weapons with these submarines. So we don't want to be contributing to um, the nuclear strategic force of the United States or the United Kingdom. So at this stage, we don't have guarantees about those things. And as I mentioned, the best thing that uh, Australia can do to ensure that we don't become part of the nuclear war fighting machine, which is very much what the Australian public does not want. Um, in general, we're a fairly anti-nuclear population. But the best way we can be um, assured on that is, is to join the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty. Jim Ramold, thank you. That interview by Afshin Ritansi was from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com, as well as on YouTube, look for Going Underground. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. 
Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet, like listeners in Boonville and Redway, California, as well as community radio station WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK Japan. North Korea test-fired a so-called hypersonic missile this week. An expert predicts future actions and a report on what the North Korean leader says he wants. NHK Japan. North Korea says the missile it test-fired on Tuesday was a hypersonic version called the Hwasong-8. The newspaper Rodon Shinmun has been reporting some details on the missile's first launch from the northern province of Chagang in the morning. It says national defense scientists have confirmed the Hwasang-8 met its technical specifications. Those include its guiding maneuver- maneuverability and the gl- gliding flight characteristics of what it called the detached hypersonic gliding warhead. The scientists were able to also able to verify the missile's navigational control and stability. The paper added the Hwasang-8 would bolster the country's defense capabilities. Hypersonic missiles fly faster than Mach 5, or five times the speed of sound. A Japanese defense white paper says not only is this class of missile extremely fast, but they can fly at low altitudes and change their flight course for extended periods. That makes them difficult to detect. Experts say the U.S., China and Russia have also been developing hypersonic missiles. We're joined by an expert on North Korea. Bong Yongshik is a research fellow at the Yonsei University's Institute for North Korean Studies in Seoul. What do you think expect the North to do next, and how should the U.S., South Korea, and Japan react? North Korea has continued to engage in provocations to see how much concessions it can get from uh, Moon Jae-in government of South Korea. And it is a strategic interest of North Korea to keep on development of short-range missiles to keep South Korea and Japan as hostages to its short-range nuclear missile attacks. I can tell you what North Korea is not going to do. North Korea is not likely to cross the red line against the United States, including resumption of nuclear tests or test firing of long-range missiles that can hit the United States, so that North Korea will put divide between South Korea and Japan on one hand and the United States on the other. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is reportedly willing to restore communication with South Korea as early as October in a bid to build peace on the peninsula. Kim voiced his views at the Supreme People's Assembly, as reported by the ruling Workers' Party newspaper Rodon Shimun on Thursday. Cross-border communication lines have been cut since August. Pyongyang reportedly severed ties in protest against a joint military drill by the U.S. and South Korea. In his latest speech, Kim also said that the U.S. continues to pose a military threat and pursue hostile policies. He accused the U.S. of trying to trick the international community by touting engagement and dialogue without preconditions. Kim added that boosting defenses is the right of a sovereign nation. 
He reiterated his country's resolve to advance its nuclear and missile program as authorized at a party congress in January. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7.245 and 7.355 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.